The show you're about to hear discusses films, books, and TV shows in their entirety. Twists, endings, and all. Without fear of spoilers. So if you don't want to know who dies, who done it, or how it all ends, we strongly advise you switch off now. Hello, I'm Paul Tyler, and welcome to Spoiler, the show which reviews movies, books, and TV shows in their entirety. This week, we're watching Peter Weir's 1998 satirical comedy drama, The Truman Show. And just another final warning, we will be talking about the whole of the plot. We will ruin it for you. So if you've not already seen The Truman Show, go away, watch it now, then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right. On with the show. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening and good night. (laughs) Movie spin-offs are big business. It's not uncommon for films to spawn books, t-shirts, action figures. But how many movies can claim to have inspired a delusional psychological disorder? In 2008, US psychiatrist Joel Gold coined the term the Truman Show delusion after encountering an increasing number of schizophrenic patients who believed their lives were a reality TV show, that everyone they met were actors and they were being filmed 24-7 by hidden cameras. After hearing of this dubious claim to fame, Truman Show writer Andrew Nicholl said, You know you've made it when you have a disease named after you. Originally titled The Malcolm Show, Nicholl's more sci-fi-skewed first draft for The Truman Show was inspired by an episode of The Twilight Zone and had a much darker tone. What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? The script was quickly picked up by Paramount Pictures and several high-profile directors were in the frame to helm the movie, including Brian De Palma, Tim Burton and Steven Spielberg, before Dead Poet Society's Peter Weir was hired and set about collaborating with Nicole on no less than 16 drafts and 12 rewrites of the script. No scripts, no cue cards. It isn't always Shakespeare, but it's genuine. When it came to the casting of Truman, Robin Williams was initially considered before Jim Carrey, fresh from hit comedies The Cable Guy and Liar Liar, and eager to make a move into more serious roles. He signed up for half his usual fee. I'm Truman Burbank. Yeah, I know. Meanwhile, Dennis Hopper was cast as the Truman Show's creator, Christoph, before creative differences led him to quit during filming, being hastily replaced by Ed Harris. Although Harris's original plan to play Christoph as a hunchback was sensibly nixed by Peter Weir. We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. Filming took place in the Stepford Wives-style, master-planned community of Seaside, Florida, with the frugal Weir managing to complete the movie $20 million under budget. Upon its release in 1998, The Truman Show received near-unanimous critical acclaim, with Kenneth Turin of the Los Angeles Times hailing it as emotionally involving without losing the ability to raise sharp, satiric questions as well as get numerous laughs. Was nothing real? You were real. That's what made you so good to watch. In 2008, Popular Mechanics magazine named The Truman Show one of their 10 most prophetic movies, successfully predicting the massive international popularity of Big Brother and its ilk. But now, in a post-nasty-knit world where reality TV has infiltrated every corner of our culture, have The Truman Show satirical swipes dated 
or are they more relevant than ever? In case I don't see ya. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Now then, later in the show, we're going to be looking at comedians who have made the switch to more dramatic roles. But here, joining us around the spoiler table to discuss The Truman Show is someone that contains no artificial sweetness. (laughs) That's Rachel Burnett. And I have tasted other Andys, but this (laughs) is the best. Andy Goulding. Hello. Hey. All right, so, um, Andy, tell me that you've had this feeling the whole world is watching you, and are you still, like me, a little suspicious it might be? I, I used to feel like this quite a lot as a kid, actually. I used to have this this thing of uh, if I saw a bit of knowledge that I could accumulate, I would always think I've, I've got to learn this fact because at some point it could be revealed that that everyone's watching me and it's all about me and they could say, well, like, your family's in danger and you need to know this. It's uh, I felt very intense as a kid sometimes because I felt that it was all about me. Thankfully, I I grew out of that. But uh, as we said in the introduction, it's been recognised as an actual condition now among people, hasn't it? The uh, the Truman delusion, yeah, mm. which must be a, a terrifying way to live your life. I mean, I looked at something online about it where someone had, had travelled to New York to go to the top of the Statue of Liberty because they thought that the producer of this show they imagined themselves to be on were going to reunite them with their fictional girlfriend and... I mean, it's 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 a terrifying idea, and if you if you come to this film with all of that in your head, it makes it even more nightmarish. But uh, I, I think this this is a brilliant film, in my opinion. It was it was prophetic. It was not not completely original. I mean, we said it's based on a, a Twilight Zone episode. I think it's actually a couple of Twilight Zone episodes. It's directly based on Special Service, which was a eighties Twilight Zone, but like the original Twilight Zone of the sixties, which is one of my favourite series ever. At an episode called A World of Difference as well, which in which a guy finds himself on a set. And then also there was a children's show. Did, did anyone used to watch Eerie Indiana? Yeah. There was a great children's show, Eerie Indiana, and there's an episode called Reality Takes a Holiday, where the main character finds that he's in a just in a series called Eerie Indiana, and they refer to him as the actor who's playing them and everything. It's great. So they're, they're very good things to watch uh, in, in preparation for watching the children's show. But I think ultimately, for me, this is the best example of this kind of plot. I think a lot of people have sort of questioned it at the time, but I think... People were quite tentative in praising it because of the presence of Jim Carrey, I think. I think there was a a bit of snobbishness about a primarily comic actor, even though it had been done successfully by people like Robin Williams, someone like Jim Carrey stepping into a role like this. And uh, I still feel this was the reason probably why it wasn't nominated for Best Picture Oscar and why Carrey wasn't nominated for his performance, because... I think he's brilliant in it, and I think it's it's well written, and the cast are brilliant. the The feel of it is brilliant. Direction, the writing, I just think it's it's grown in stature over the years, and I now think of it as one of the defining films of the nineties. Mm, Rachel, mm, okay, <laughs> gosh, no doubt that swept me over. So, Rachel, I mean, are you a Jim Carrey fan? Amazing! It was this film that made me a Jim Carrey fan. I was not, not the mask. A Jim... No, it just what? well. I like the film, but I just thought, oh, God, he's just this gurning bloke who just, you know, (laughs) excellent physical comedian, excellent physical comedian. But I just thought, oh, he's just too much in your face. I can't be doing with it. And then, yeah, the Truman Show, I thought, "Mm, really? But wow, he totally won me over. And he's he won me over ever since. Anything he does now, I'll watch and give him a chance. I watched The Majestic, which wasn't brilliant, but he was good in it. And, you know, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, excellent film, because he has that that beautiful heart it's just he's such an endearing character 
it just blew me away. I thought his performance was just astonishing. Well, yeah, you know, I watch I watch films for this usually in, in bits and bobs. I did with this. And I watched I watched about three or four different parts. And, and one, once it meant that I had a gap of uh, an entire day of, of, of going about my daily life with, with this film in my head. And I, I actually quite like doing this. You know, I, I, I enjoy doing it because it means... I'm, I'm thinking about the, the film most of most of the day because you know, I'm not thinking about much else. And um, again, it's it, it's that that question that we raised at the beginning about you know, and it's certainly not. I've I've not got the the, the disorder or anything like that. But then you do have that. I certainly had these these feelings yeah. as, uh, as as a child, probably a teenager as well. That it, you know, the world's centered around me, and isn't that just like me? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The world revolves around me. Of course it does. I mean, could anything be more disinteresting than that? But and then you start to. I mean, really, it's, you just end up being very very embarrassed and very quickly thinking oh, oh what if it oh no they'd have seen that <laughs> oh dear oh. But, but I went to the cinema I think to see this way back when and these are the days when I used to go to the cinema in Doncaster the old Donny Dome I don't think, I, just don't, I don't remember connecting with it I don't remember liking it I remember thinking oh this is a lot of people are going on about this saying it's, it's good I felt I, I definitely remember feeling shortchanged by it. Um, so I, again, it's one of these situations. I don't think I, I suggested it, did I? Otherwise, I'd have uh, been Johnny suggested this Johnny one. Johnny suggested this one. So I'd have thought, well, someone else has recommended this. And I don't want to watch it. And then I did watch it, and yeah, it was. I on the whole, I really, really enjoyed it. And there's one. I have. I have a problem. I have a problem with Ed Harris. And I don't know if it's particularly... I want to go and watch more Ed Harris films now because I don't know if it's particularly in this, if it's just the hat he's wearing or what. <laughs> I have no idea, but I really... I didn't I didn't connect with him. Now, I mean, the last programme we, we, we made for Spoiler was, um, was Die Hard. And we talked about... And Andy, you know, pr- brilliantly put together about Hans Gruber, you know, moving the plot along and being a very good... a good villain. And I suppose, I mean, well, you know, all right, let's, let's, let's knock this out. I, did, I, was, I was supposed I was going to get to this later on, but hey, it's here right now in front of us. Let's bat it about. <laughs> I mean, is he, is, he, is he a bad guy? I don't know. I mean, in my mind, he's a villain in this, but is he? Is he? No, I don't think he what? is. No, well, <laughs> you know hear what? me I, out, hear me out. I, also, I, I, let, me, let me state now, I want to stop doing that what business. I, I do, I've noticed <laughs> I'm doing, yeah, yeah. I mean, I am, but I am surprised. <laughs> I I, I'm, I'm stating now I'm surprised. Well, yeah, he becomes nothing so black and white. I like this idea that um, Peter Weir has a whole backstory for Christoph. And Christoph became famous or became well-known or critically acclaimed when he did a documentary about homeless people where he put... This is all fictional, obviously. There's nothing... Mm-hmm. It, you never saw this in the film. But he told this to Ed Harris. And so he put um, a camera in a DOS house, basically, and made a documentary out of it, and that's how he got well-known. And he initially decided to do a year um, in a baby's life called Bringing Up Baby. He even had a, a, a name. And it just kind of, it kept going. It kept escalating because people really liked it. And I think at the start of it, Christoph was trying to do something interesting and something useful and something informative and educational. And, you know, nobody wanted Truman. He was a baby that was up for adoption. And, and I think he just kind of ran with it. And then it became twisted. Then it became, I can actually manipulate this person. And nobody had ever done this before. So there were no rules, there were no protocols, there were no guidelines. And so it just got out of hand. It got totally out of hand. And nobody stopped him. It's the thing people around him were saying, yes. You know, the producers, yes, we're making loads of money. The actors, none of the actors said, what are you doing to this person? Mm. You know, everyone around him was saying, yes, this is fine. This is socially acceptable. This is absolutely fine. Let's keep doing it. Look at the joy you're bringing. And Christoph at the end, when he's saying to Truman, you know, you bring joy to, to millions of people across the world. In Christoph's head, it's, it's a noble thing that he's doing. 
So he's not necessarily, he doesn't think he's a bad person. Obviously, he is. He's keeping this person prisoner and he's taking his you know, liberty away. But for me, he's a really interesting character. And I think Ed Harris is really, really good at it because he's, I have seen him in a lot of things. And so I have seen him be quite chameleonic. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have wanted Dennis Hopper to play that. Absolutely not, because it would have been straight out villain for me, because I associate Dennis yeah. Hopper with villainy. Mm. Whereas Ed Harris, I don't. He's a he's a softy, and he looks a lot like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. Well, it's nothing personal, um, but I, I I understand what you're saying. And I, I, as always, you, you know, I'm I'm willing to accept that I'm wrong on it and just accept it, but also completely agree with my own opinion. Um, and I, when I when I wrote my note on this, is is why don't I like Ed Harris? I understand why everyone else would like him. And was he was he Oscar nominated for this? He was. Yeah, he was the only only person who was, wasn't he? For yeah. the uh, out of the actors, yeah, yeah. The, the, it's more than like the hat. Um, <laughs> I, I would go one step further than even just saying it was that this thing that got out of hand. I think that uh, I'm really interested in this idea of abuse that is uh, sort of exacerbated by love. And obviously, like Truman, this is like serious mental abuse that he's being put through. And, you know, to an extent physical, he's being stopped from escaping. And uh, when David Lynch made The Elephant Man, there's a character in The Elephant Man called Bites, who uh, is the owner of the freak show who keeps John Merrick, The Elephant Man, prisoner. And he beats him. And Freddie Jones, who played that part, was having trouble with it until David Lynch talked to him and convinced him that that Bites loved John Merrick in a way. And like part of why he brutalised him was because he was terrified of losing him. And I think that this is definitely there in Christoph as well. Truman, in a way, is like his son. And he has guided him, well, not so much guided him, as just manipulated every part of his life, his his control. And so in that final moment where they talk to each other, Christoph's desperation is more like less about losing his show than it is about losing his kind of surrogate son. And it's really crushing for him when the only response he gets from Truman is this flippant parting shot of reciting this catchphrase that he's he's got on the show. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening and good night. So he realises that this connection that he feels, this father-son connection he feels with Truman is just one way because to Truman, he's just another viewer and so this catchphrase, it's just like he's playing to the audience again and he leaves. And so that ending, there's huge psychological implications for Christoph as well as Truman in the tearing apart of this kind of surrogate father-son relationship. But there's a psalm that's referenced, Psalm 139, and that's the number on the boat on the sail. And Christoph paraphrases it as well. I didn't just know this. I had to look this up. <laughs> and, you know, but he said the, the psalm, there's a few lines in it and um, I'm not going to say all of it, but there's things like you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. This is something that's paraphrased by Christoph. He sees himself as some kind of guide, some kind of Lord, some kind of godlike figure. You know, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Well, he can't. Mm. You know, I, I've, when I discovered this Psalm 139 reference, I thought, wow, this is really, it's all in there. You know, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So he's still, you've still got me. And I thought, yeah. my goodness, the whole 
plot is kind of in Psalm 139. Mm. But it also explains Christoph and his, and his God fantasy, his God delusion. Mm. So, I think it goes to show, the, show the, the absolute depth of this film, which is why I think, well, I can't remember how old I was in 1998, but I was, I was a young daft and drinking too much probably, mm. uh, which is why I wouldn't have got it. But I think Rolling Stone magazine put it well. And I think they said, that this movie could have failed in so many ways. Yeah. And, you know, the, you've got this concept of, of, of this thing, which I think everyone can imagine now. Maybe they couldn't before, but because of the, the, the way it was put together, it really does work. And you're right, Andy. I mean, it is, it is, it is a fantastic piece of work. And I mean, if, certainly for one of the things that, that hits you and hit me straight away was the place, the, 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 the uh, what's it called? What's the place C- called? Seahaven, but it's Seahaven. Seaside is, is the place that it's shot, but it's it's called Seahaven in the film. Yeah, yeah. so it, it seems to be a, a character all by itself, doesn't it? And of course it is a character because it's made up and it's got actors yeah. and sets and all that kind of thing. However, you know, it is, it is you know, it, as an outsider looking in as, as someone watching it, um, you are drawn into this, you know, sunny, hi everyone, you know, that kind of, that kind of uh, land. And it, it's, it's just, I think it's very well put together and you know so much so much work went in on this rather than it just it, it could have been a very easy throwaway film saying someone's filmed all the time and they don't know about it um uh, but they, they 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 really dug it up they really did the level of detail the streets in the truman show are named after hollywood actors so we have beauregard avenue Lan- lancaster square and the cast which i hadn't actually noticed are named after famous actors so you have merrill street marlon brando <laughs> lauren bacall yeah, I hadn't even realised this, but the level of detail in that film is incredible. And so that's why it bears repeating. That's why I have probably watched it at least 15 times. Really? I saw it at the cinema, loved it. It did connect with me. And I've just watched it endlessly over the years and I always yeah. find something new in it. Yeah. It's just, it's wonderful. I, I totally agree with you, Andy. It's one of my favourite films of all time. There isn't a single bit I'd take out. There's not a single bit that slows it down. Um, it's scores wonderful. Um, you know, there's there's so much about it that just works so so well. See, it's funny because I I wondered. I, I, this is only a wonder, and I, I'm already thinking I'm wrong. <laughs> is in the very very early on we see uh, one of the lights fall down. Yeah. Uh, for, for, from the sky, so things are you know things are falling apart with a set and things like. that. And I wondered as a as a viewer, is that happening to too soon should there be more setup should we see more of his his day-to-day life but actually no this is part of his day-to-day life these are the things that have already been see i'm already disagreeing myself <laughs> and talking myself out of it i don't even want an answer on this um, well, I, I think we we arrive we arrive at this crucial point in his life where he's starting to realize this and presumably these glitches have happened all through his life but you wouldn't if that happened in your normal life you wouldn't think oh this is a show all about me, but because it's been put in his head and we do go back for that information, don't we? So we see his life before he's even considered this in the flashbacks in the, the Truman bar when they, uh, they're watching it on TV and uh, Sylvia puts it in his head, tells him outright that it's all about him. And so I think it's crucial that we, we come in at exactly that moment when He's, he's starting to cut onto it properly. And then uh, I suppose that, that raises a question for me, and it, it did do, I think, throughout throughout there. Is Christoph in that much control? Is he, you know, he's, uh, w- with lights falling out of the sky and, you know, sets not being right when he moves into a different building, this, that, you know, all these the, these things that aren't exactly in control. I, I would, Im- I, I suppose I imagine this character to have more control over everything that was going on. So like even an, an actor not being able to drive a ferry because, you know, it, it ultimately just says, hey, I'm an actor, you know, I'm a ferry driver. <laughs> I love him. Uh, but, but then, you know, why, I think maybe this is the, the, the point you, you, you made so well early, Andy, uh, is, is the fact that 
he's so connected to Truman, he's losing these other things, you know, losing the, the control of the set around the, 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 that's going on. I think what's crucial about that is that actually if you'd seen the first 30 years of his life, you would have seen perfect control. Mm. But this is the point where things start to go wrong. Yeah. And because I think the crucial thing is seeing his dad. I think that's the real kicker. I think that's the real wow. Mm. Now the world is tipped on its axis. That is something totally different. And and don't forget, that's when he walks into a building that's not finished yet because he's never walked in there before. That's totally out of his pattern. He doesn't do things out of his pattern. He's never done things out of his pattern, which is why when he decides to turn around out of the building and go and sit in the square and everyone's going, what do we do now? He's <laughs> never done that before. And then he walks in front of us and stops it and nobody goes, oi, mate, get out of the road. And he's thinking, why is nobody telling me off? Mm. They don't know what the hell to do because he's never done this before. He's been so tightly controlled. So every single part of his life has been really honed into being this one thing. But just those few little niggles are just, you know, some people have said it's like a midlife crisis for him as well. So he's getting to a point in his life where he's thinking, and he's clearly still completely hooked on on Sylvia slash Lauren. And, um, you know, his marriage is not working out very well. He's now starting to see things. He's hearing things on the radio. Hang on a minute. Things are starting to, you know, I'm going to start testing this. So it's at that point that we see Christoph start to lose control. But I think up to that point, I think he had absolute control over him. OK, well, we've come to some of those points you raised earlier. And there's a big one about uh, Natasha McElhone that I want to uh, want to raise, uh, as in why she's not more in any more lead roles. Uh, but later on, Rachel is going to be listing her top five comedy actors who have successfully made the switch to more serious roles. And we'll be talking more about The Truman Show. That's all after this short break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. If you'd like to help us make more, you can do so by visiting our webpage, spoilerpodcast.co.uk, clicking on the donate button and giving whatever you think we're worth. Or you can help us out for free and get yourself an audiobook of your choice into the bargain by signing up for a free 30-day trial with Audible via the link on our website. Audible have the world's largest selection of audiobooks, including The Nancy Drew Mysteries, narrated by The Truman Show's Laura Linney. You can cancel your membership at any time within the 30 days and you won't pay a penny, but you still get to keep your free audiobook. Just go to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and click on the Audible trial ad on the left-hand side. We get a few quid each time someone signs up via our link, which will help fund producer Johnny's plans to build a time machine so he can travel back and prevent atrocities such as the First World War, the birth of Hitler and Opal Fruits changing their name to Starburst. Now, back to the show. I made macaroni. So welcome back to Spoiler, and we're discussing The Truman Show. Uh, Now, as we heard earlier, Jim Carrey took a significant pay cut when he accepted the role of Truman Burbank. Such was his desire to make the leap into more serious roles. But he's certainly not the first comic actor to attempt this career shift. Now, Rachel's been taking a look at some other comedians who've successfully made the switch to drama. While Jim Carrey is quite rightly lauded for his dramatic turn in The Truman Show, he is by no means the only comedy actor to have made the transition from silly to serious. There are many others who have made their marks in dramatic roles, sometimes to such an extent that their comedy roots have been pretty much forgotten. Here are my top five comics gone straight. Number one, of course, is Robin Williams. 
Despite training and acting at Juilliard, Williams started his career in stand-up comedy, moving on to creating the lovable Mork in the television series Mork and Mindy. Nanu! Nanu! His first major film role was as the title character in Popeye, so a career in comedy films seemed inevitable. However, after an Oscar-nominated turn in Good Morning Vietnam... Hello, campers. Remember, Monday is malaria day. That's right, time to take that big orange pill and get ready for the Ho Chi Minh two-step. Which definitely used his comedic skills, but also had more than its fair share of drama. Williams went on to create the inspiring John Keating in Dead Poet Society and the wise and lovable Sean Maguire in Goodwill Hunting. And it became clear there was more to this funny man than met the eye. If you ever disrespect my wife again, I will end you. Got that, Chief? Even still, within these roles, Robin was never far from his comedic roots and used humour in both to humanise the characters and engage with the audience in a way that was almost unique to him. Williams finally broke free of his comedy ties in the creepy one-hour photo when he played the skin-crawling Seymour Parrish, made so much more unpleasant as we'd come to expect warmth and humour from Robin. The evil Walter Finch in Insomnia followed, and we saw at last that Williams, as we always suspected, was capable of acting pretty much anything and anyone. A true genius and a huge loss. I don't know how much value I have in this universe, but I do know that I made a few people happier than they would have been without me. As long as I know that, I'm as rich as I ever need to be. A surprise for some at number two, Billy Connolly. Our little dog is six years old and he's smart as any damn kid. From an early start as a folk singer to a lifelong career in stand-up comedy, Billy Connolly would seem to be anything but a dramatic actor. Everything about him screams comedy. And that's why I am gonna get a D-I-V-O-R-C-E. So when he was cast opposite national treasure and fully-fledged actor Judy Dench in Mrs Brown, I don't think I was the only one who was ready to cringe throughout. However, I've never been more pleasantly surprised by a performance in all my life. Connolly's performance as Mr Brown is incredibly sensitive, authentic and had me totally engaged from the very start. The connection between him and Dench is truly extraordinary and at no point did he seem overawed or out of his depth. Mr Brown? Yes, ma'am? You have been told repeatedly not to stand in the courtyard unless requested to do so. Yes, ma'am. Then why do you persist in doing it? Because I believe Her Majesty's wrong. If ever a poor soul needed some fresh air, it's her. The Queen will ride out if and when she chooses. And I intend to be there when she's ready. Billy has never quite matched his performance in Mrs Brown, although arguably he's never quite found a role to match it either. But his ability to completely inhabit a dramatic role can never be questioned again. A frustrating Will Ferrell at number three. You stay classy, San Diego. Jim Carrey-esque in his level of comic ridiculousness, Will Ferrell is another who would seem an unlikely pick for a serious role. Starting out in Saturday Night Live, then moving on to films like Anchorman, Talladega Nights and Zoolander, it must have been a brave casting director who read the script for Stranger Than Fiction and decided to give Ferrell a call. As it happens, the decision was a good one, and Ferrell was able to show off some of his dramatic skills while creating a sympathetic and engaging everyman. You're asking me to knowingly face my death. Yes. Really? Harold, listen to me. I can't die right now. It's just really bad timing. 
Sadly, he didn't try out his serious acting chops again until Everything Must Go in 2010, when he created something of an anti-hero, but nonetheless engaging. I personally hope that Ferrell moves into serious acting more, as I think he's got an awful lot more to give yet. A reluctant number four, Adam Sandler. I nearly didn't include Adam Sandler in this list, purely because I've become so disappointed with his film choices of late. However, it's hard to ignore the amazing performance he put in for P.T. Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. Sandler started, as Ferrell did, in Saturday Night Live, and went on to a string of comedy films like Billy Madison and The Waterboy. There was a glimpse of something deeper in The Wedding Singer, but nothing could have prepared me for his performance as Barry Egan in Punch Drunk Love. I'm a nice man. I mind my own business. So you tell me that's that before I beat the hell from you. I have so much strength in me, you have no idea. I struggle to define what it is that makes his performance so special, only to say that if you haven't seen it, you absolutely must. And if you have, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I long for the day when Sandler remembers how good he really is and returns to this type of role. And almost forgotten at number five, Emma Thompson. Yes, it's sometimes hard to remember that thespian deluxe and all-round good egg Emma Thompson was once a comedy actor. One of the famous Cambridge Footlights posse, which included Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, Thompson took part in a number of TV sketch shows at the start of her career, and her first feature film was a comedy, The Tall Guy, with Jeff Goldblum. Of course, Emma comes from a family of dramatic actors, mother Felida Law and sister Sophie Thompson, as well as Eric, her father, so it wasn't long before she turned her not inconsiderable acting skills to high drama, and boy has she owned it ever since. I don't think I even need to list her acting accolades as they are enough to have almost overshadowed entirely her comedy roots. Thankfully, those sublime bits of comedy timing that seem innate in her still get an airing every now and then. See the most recent Bridget Jones film for her scene-stealing performance as Bridget's doctor. Dr. Rawlings, I wonder if you could maybe do me a favour? Mm. So, this is Dad, I presume. Pleased to meet you. I'm so glad you could be here. This is a unique and wonderful moment. So I guess we need to keep our eyes focused on today's comedy actors to see who may be the next to get serious and show their dramatic chops. Any guesses? I know a song that'll get on your nerves, get on mm, your Maybe not. Thanks for that, Rachel. Now, I spent a, a bit of time looking at obviously only page one of Google to try and uh, be contrary here, you know, try and disagree with you. Uh, I can't really add anything to that. <laughs> I thought maybe maybe Simon Pegg, who I think now is, but perhaps not, he's not, I think even now, if you look at him in the Mission Impossible films and in the Star Trek films, he's still very much a comic character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's not moved on to anything so serious. Has he ever played the, a serious role? The closest I can think of is um, Hector in A Search for Happiness, mm. which went under the radar quite a bit, which I thought was a comedy. And it kind of, there are comedic elements to it, but 
by God, it gets really serious in the middle. Yeah. Okay, right. So um, where was I going to go? I wanted to talk about Natasha McElhone, but we'll get to her because I've got this brilliant uh, thing I've written down here, even if I do say so myself. Laura Linney, discuss. Oh, I love Laura Linney. <laughs> she just absolutely steals the show. She in this totally does. I love her so much. I love the fact that she looked at um, like 1950s um, stars yeah. and, and catalogues and things like that and her posing, her little gesticulations. <laughs> she's so fantastic and her selling. There's a fantastic interview with her talking about Truman Show and saying that she, she had a whole backstory in her head for Meryl. And um, she said that she thinks that she was actually very powerful, very powerful actress, and that afterwards she'd come out into big meetings and make huge deals with all these companies about what she was going to sell and how she was going to sell it and, mm-hmm. and when. And she'd get extra bonuses for when she slept with Truman and all this, because she was always seducing him. She was always trying to get him into bed, and considering that she couldn't stand him and she couldn't stand him, mm-hmm. she was clearly getting something out of this. So um, she had this real, really, really strong and clear idea of who this character was. But she said it was also very weird being an actress, playing an actress, playing a character. And it got a bit meta and a bit strange for her. But she pulled it off so beautifully. She is all sweetness and cherry pie with a huge sting in her tail. <laughs> and she she just pulls the most fantastic faces. I just, I think she's an absolute genius. I love her to pieces. I, I couldn't <laughs> agree more. I think she, she's absolutely brilliant. I think uh, we, do, we don't see enough of her. She's uh, she's one of these. She's she rarely gets the lead role, but when she does, like some of the, some of the films where she's the lead are absolutely fantastic. But have gone under the radar a little bit, like uh, You Can Count on Me, which is a wonderful film, uh, which I think she was Oscar nominated for, uh, and The Savages. Have you seen The Savages as well? Which I think she was Oscar nominated for. When she she steps up to the to the lead, it's really really something to see. And uh, in this, she's she's just she's just brilliant. But she's she's part of that. I think that there's a real genius to Peter Weir's uh, directorial approach here and that there's so much that's horrific in this. Like you say about Meryl, she's she's essentially... I mean, at one point, Christoph says everything on the show is for sale and this includes the people. So imagine being in her position. Yeah, she's, she's going to get paid off a lot, but she has to continually sleep with this man that she can't stand. Or Marlon, who's the best friend, who is clearly conflicted when he has to do these speeches about if it really is all about you, then I must be lying too, and I'm not. And yeah. it's, uh, when it comes to Marlon, I, I did read somewhere that there was there were extra scenes or deleted scenes yeah. where uh, when they were doing the big search. Uh, for Truman, that that he'd uh, you know sort of the, he did have this speech in there where he said, look, you know, I, I know what's going on, but I really do like you as a as a person. Well, oh. to, you know, to extend the character in in that way, and then he let him go, you know, that kind of thing, uh, out out to sea. But it, it got deleted. Yeah, it's I... probably a good idea to delete that actually, because it to make it more about anyone other than Truman. It's quite. It's quite key to keep the focus on Truman, I yeah. think. So yeah. I think it's it's probably, I'd really, it'd be really interested to see that scene, but I think it's better that it was chopped out. There's some really interesting deleted scenes on, I bought a special edition DVD, even though I've already got it on DVD once, <laughs> um, just for the documentary special features. And um, there's some deleted scenes, not that one, sadly, but there was a deleted scene of a cast meeting, which you don't think about these happening, but um, so... Back in the in the sort of headquarters on the moon, as it were, all the characters are there. You've got um, Laura Linney's character and Marlon and the new love interest, Vivian. She's sat there as well. Not this sweetness and cherry pie that you see in the programme. She's ready to make some money out of this and to be really famous. And I really found that so interesting. I thought, oh, you really should have kept that in. But, you know, these directorial decisions are made for a reason, and I'm sure he had them, but... 
there's some real fleshing out of this. There's so much going on behind the scenes. That's just, it's so fascinating. And how about the, the, the Lauren character then? Let's, let's, let's bring this in because I mean, the, the point you made about Laura Linney, I wanted to make about Natasha McElhone, just saying, well, yeah. this, this is an actress, the, oh, an actress, do we say actress or actor? Actress. You get the best leading actress, don't you? Of course you, you best, do. Best I, think, I think actor is kind of across the board term yeah. now, isn't it? But Anyway, either way, <laughs> Natasha McElhone should have more lead roles. I concur. Mm. Holy. I don't know if I've seen her anything other than this. Why she was she in Ronan. In? She was very good in Ronan. Solaris. Solaris, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, Solaris. Yeah. She's very, very good. Um, Ladies in Lavender, very good in that. She's um, she's an absolute stunner. She really is an absolute stunner. And it, it does surprise me. Mind you, she did have some tragedy in her personal life. I think she lost her husband um, shortly after Truman Show. And it kind of upskilled everything. And I think her career possibly just went off slightly when, when it when it could have been something that went up and, and it should mm. have gone up and up and up I don't know if she'll come back to it or not but she's got some real depth to her and those eyes yeah those that's eyes that's the thing that's isn't it? it yeah my goodness you can it's strange I think if, if it was anybody other than her you'd go why is he so obsessed with this woman he spent like you know an evening with but it's her mm-hmm. and it's those eyes mm-hmm. and I fell in love with those eyes so you know and he's looking for those eyes when he's yeah. looking in the magazines he focuses on her eyes a lot when she's looking up at the television when they're so full of sadness and oh desperation she gets so much through just those eyes I think she's just it's it's a bit of a loss that she's not huge mm-hmm. I think she should be huge so in the, I mean in the real in the, if, if this was a, re- a real thing the Truman Show and it was on our TV sets right now I mean, the three of us, we'd all be in the, 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 the campaign uh, with, with, with Oren when we say, you know, come on, no, free, free Truman, you yeah. know, we'd, we'd be behind that because the, the, the morals in it are, um, well, you know, they're, they're, I don't know, I, I, especially with the Laura Linney thing, you know, and, and someone, you know, like you say, sleeping with someone, with it, they're just putting this in this role and it just, it just doesn't, free Truman, I say, I'm going to get myself a, <laughs> a, a T-shirt and set up a Facebook yeah, group. we'd totally be like that. I think I've put a little thing on my notes. It's one of the last things I wrote about behaviour modification. Because if you think about what we all do, you know, when nobody's looking, we're not these perfect creatures all the time. We do gross things and we do things that we're ashamed of and we do things we're embarrassed about. Everybody does it, but you do it in private. Now, if he's doing things that are too much, somebody's going to have to modify that because that's going broadcast to the world. You can't let him do things that everybody does I don't want to put too fine a point in it, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's yeah, lots of things, not just the obvious. There's loads of things yeah. that you think, oh, can't really show that. You really must stop him doing that. So all the way along the line, and he's been in control. Christoph has been in control. So get his mum to tell him if he does that, something awful will happen. So his behaviour must have been modified yeah. all the way along the line to make him fit. Even in private, he will have to fit these absolute rules and guidelines of what's acceptable to be shown on television. Well, my life wouldn't be acceptable to be shown on television 24-7 and I don't know anybody who would. <laughs> so, you know, that, that in itself is really quite twisted. Yeah. Um, you know, One that, thing that really kind of puts a clock on it as well is they're trying to get this uh, on-air conception to happen. And so, you, obviously, you want him out there before that happens and that opens up lots of questions about once the baby's born, what happens then? Because then you've got two people in there who don't know that it's all artifice. So, because mm. you, you can't really include a kid in it, can you? Because... Well, this is, it's funny you should say that because this was in this fantastic DVD special features <laughs> thing. Um, and Peter Weir talked about um, having um, two channels. So you'd have two running channels of, of them both uh. as separate things. Truman and son of Truman or daughter of Truman. And if it was twins, then you'd have three. 
So they had it all planned out, and it, it's just kind of sick. You can't imagine the woman, that you know, the actress who had those babies, why would she not feel protective of those children? Why would she think it's like, it's one thing to prostitute herself, but to prostitute her children into this world that's fake? Oh, honestly, the implications of this film, you could talk about it for so much longer than we've got. <laughs> one thing, again, we always like talking about, and we mentioned in the introduction, Robin Williams. Um a lot of the time when we mention other actors' names and we think of something and, and we think about how it's gone or the Truman Show, and I think we all agree that, you know, Jim Carrey's just outstanding in this. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I still could I could see Robin Williams doing it. I could. I, I could, don't know. I could imagine it. I don't think he would have. I mean, I, I think Robin Williams is a brilliant or was a brilliant, serious actor. But I don't know if this was the right role for him. There's a, I don't know if he could get that sort of level of kind of sterility that... that Jim Carrey sort of puts on it. Mm. Robin Williams is quite cuddly. <laughs> he's quite <laughs> fluffy and I don't know, he's too well established by that point anyway, I'd have said. Too mawkish. He's <laughs> too, too mawk. Um, not mawkish. <laughs> um, I'm so for Jim in this role. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine anybody else doing it. Mm. He is Truman. I mean, that thing that he does in, in the bathroom mirror with with the soap and the yeah, which yeah. he just did that yeah you know and I know Robin Williams did improvisation and I know it would have been a totally different film with with him in given free reign and he could have done the whole wacky thing like when he's you know sat in the car and he's going you know flowers yeah. there's that Denner beetle all of that um you know Robin Williams could have done that no trouble but there's just something about Jim Carrey Peter Weir know. felt the same he waited an extra year wow. before he did this to ensure that you could get Jim Carrey in the role. There you go, me and Peter. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things I found, I, I, it's not just, again, not just this film. When you get the cutaways to people watching it on TV, and I think, I don't know, for some reason I'm thinking something along the lines of Independence Day, where you get these cutaways to different people in different countries. And here you've got the sort of goggle box style, the two old ladies, the security guards eating donuts, obviously, um, the man in the bath... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Truman Cafe bar. Try and get service in that Truman Cafe bar. I mean, everyone looked like they had full drinks and things like that. But you know, everyone was watching TV all the time. You know, but I, I also I liked the fact that it was the Truman Cafe bar as well. I, I did, yeah. I did enjoy that because that obviously you know would happen. Um, and oh, as, as, as always, IMDb trivia. Mm-hmm. Now, my favourite bit of trivia out there is that Peter Weir wanted the projectionists. Remember projectionists. <laughs> Is it, what is this, 98? That age, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Uh, to stop the reels in the cinema and show a shot of the audience and then play the film again. So it felt like they were being watched, like they were part of it. Uh, and that would, I mean, it's completely unachievable, isn't it? It would oh, never yeah. have happened. However, I think that goes to show, and I think it's probably some, sums up just, you know, just how, how much thought went into this, uh, you know, like, like I said earlier, this film could have, gone wrong so easily um, and, and it didn't because it had Peter Weir in charge of it. Apparently Peter Weir toyed with the idea of playing Christoph himself to really make it meta. So no, the director no. playing the director. <laughs> yeah. I might have liked it better then. Might have, true. Okay, right, so um, oh, the ending, the ending, let's talk about the ending and let's, let's narrow down into that into that sort of bit where they're, they're putting the, the sea on Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're making the sea, the storm, the storm in the sea. That's, that's what they're doing. Uh, directing it. And the, the guy finally refuses and says, look, no, I'm not doing that. And then uh, he takes over and he pushes the buttons, then walks away again. If I had those buttons in front of me, I'd have stopped them because this is like, you know, it's, it's a, that's murder. They're yeah. about to murder yeah. a man. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be saying, no, stop it. And I'd be wrestling the Christoph guy to the, although, you know, obviously we know how controlling Chris, the, the Christoph guy is. But you know, with the ending, how, so how happy, I'm not going to ask you, Rachel, Andy, how happy were you with, with the ending? <laughs> 
Uh, I think it's a really, really good ending, actually. Uh, I know like some people, well, to start off with that, that image when he, he finally gets to the, the stairs. Just written that down. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I'm pleased you, I'm pleased you made the point because I asked you the question. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm, I was just, I'm just about to interrupt you and take over. Carry on, <laughs> carry on, carry on. No, but, well, I, I think that that is that is amazing when he when he gets to the edge and he gets to the stairs and there's that open door out. You can't see what's through there. It's dark, but it's. I think that's brilliant. And unfortunately, some of the advertising campaigns use that on the poster, which completely ruins it, doesn't it? It's, uh, <sighs> Noise me. I mean, I'm all right. You know, we're here in a program called Spoiler, but boy, do we have some warnings. <laughs> you know, exactly. we put enough, off, enough barriers. I mean, the program's called Spoiler. Exactly. <laughs> Losing the title. But then we get that that wonderful discussion between him and Christoph, which I mean, we've already talked about that. But I think that that for me says everything about those those two characters and the, their relationship, how much Truman means to Christoph, and the fact that Christoph is is literally nothing to Truman. He doesn't. You know who he is. And then the fact that he walks out, but we don't see any more than that. And mm-hmm. that, for me, is perfect because we can't be allowed any more access to him than the viewers are. And that's why we get these these viewers are our surrogates throughout, aren't they, watching him. And then as soon as he leaves, we and we're glad that he's out of there. But what, what reaction are we going to have next? I mean, all these people in the Truman Bar, are they going to be out of a job or is it going to become like a Truman Nostalgia Bar? There's still a Cheers, and I know why we bring this back to Cheers, but there is still a Cheers <laughs> Bar in Boston, isn't there? So, there is. I, you know, I, th- I think the Truman Bar is still up and running. <laughs> but then also there's, there's this one, like right at the end, this this one security guard who just says, well, what's out, what else is on? And it, it shows like kind of we can have these really kind of, strong bonds with things we see on TV but to some people they do until it's over and then they're, they're fickle they go on to the next thing absolutely I think um, I want to go a little bit further back towards the ending the moment where the boat hits the sky oh yeah and I, again this amazing special features documentary <laughs> and they talk about how Jim Truman uh, Jim Truman <laughs> how much is he Truman oh. that's Freudian slip um, uh, Jim Carrey the way he plays that it would have been very easy for him to have played it all with his face because he plays a lot with his face a lot of the expression comes from that but it's his hand touches it and you can just he, he collapses inwardly and yeah. and you collapse inwardly and then that music comes in oh See, music's so important. <laughs> the music comes in and he's beating the wall so hard and you can't see his face. He's got his back to you and his head's down. And it's, ah, oh, the dejection and the desperation and the utter defeat is just, ah. Oh, it makes me absolutely sob every time. And then when he finally gets down onto the little um, sort of runner along the end and yeah. then finds the stairs, you know, it's okay. But for that moment, but, I mean, the first time I saw it, I was almost inconsolable. I was really, <gasps> I mean, just so upset. And he plays it so beautifully. It's mm. so beautifully done. And that, mm. for me, that is Jim Carrey at its absolute best. And there's a lot going on at that point. I, I, I was I particularly thrilled by the little ledge across the side he was walking along. Mm. Yeah. You know, because I thought, how are they going to do this? And at first I thought, well, walking on water. No. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a ledge. And yeah, yeah. And then he reaches the stairs and does that, you know, pretty, it is, it's a perfect scene and a perfect ending. Mm. And it leaves you, going away from it 
wondering what happened next. Now, actually, I mean, if we were those TV watchers, of course, we would have the press and, and you know, TV and all this kind of thing, you know, be digging up on his, you know, where, where, what's what's happening now, where is he now? And there would be, you know, photographers at his, his every step. And I, I'm assuming that if, you know, we like we always like to do is carry on and say, say what happened to these these people? That's, that's what happened, wasn't it, really? You know, I mean, it's a, he's gone back into a world which now he's going to be perhaps even more on TV. I don't know. It's strange. I found two very differing opinions on the internet. One that had a very positive, one that's very negative. And um, obviously I went for the positive. <laughs> and um, they said basically because of what they've done to him, he could easily sue them. Easily sue them. Four billions. Because every single thing they've earned from that, they've earned because of him. So, you know, a good lawyer could pull absolute holes in it. And so they, him and Sylvia could make an awful lot of money. Mm. Enough to be able to get them incredible security and bodyguards or whatever if that's needed and then I think I just hope that people would think you know we've followed this guy for 30 years let's just leave him be let's just leave him they've seen his fight this is the thing they've seen it and they've cheered him on it's not like any of them in the bar were going no we don't want him to leave we like watching him they're all like yay come on let's do it even the guy in the bath who basically relies on Truman to be able to sleep (laughs) um even he was going come on Truman and you know, they're all rooting for him. I honestly hope against hope that humankind could look at that and go, right, we've had our fill of him. Let's let him have his life. I'm, I'm not sure because I think those people, when they're, they're, they're cheering him on, I think they're, they're engaged with it on the level of, like, a fiction. They're, they're, they're almost seeing it as not real. They're seeing it like a soap opera. And then when he gets out, I think they, they will still, because some of them are clearly, like, Obsessed. obsessed with him so <laughs> they've got the Truman cushion yeah yes. yeah yeah so I think I think there will be a level of interest but another another sort of quite cynical response to it is that people say well Christoph will just do it again he'll get another and they'll and then that'll become it but I think that that misses the point that I think this has been psychologically crushing for Christoph and he can't just start again I think this is to him it's going to be like losing a child it's, I don't think Truman would, would pursue, I think he would just want to flee he wouldn't pursue any kind of litigious side to it or anything, he wouldn't want anything that put kept him in the spotlight I he guess not, be but, pursued, but where's his money going to come from this is what this is what somebody yeah. was saying because, and this is a really good point who taught him at school, if the ferry dri- driver can't drive a ferry, could <laughs> the teachers actually teach, so actually he's probably not qualified to do anything, he's certainly not going to be qualified to do insurance insurance sales because that's what he did on the show it would have been some kind of, you know, ham job of it. So actually, where is he going to make his money? Yeah. How is he going to carry on living? So his best bet is to do something like yeah, Sue. Honestly, this like... there's a whole website devoted to <laughs> what would happen. And it was fascinating. They had whole like bits of legal stuff about what he could do. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I think it goes so deep, doesn't it, this film? And yeah. I think if people, I mean, it's it's an easy, it's an easy film to pick strips off and complain mm. about. I saw a... I was looking for, for people who, who didn't like it and I actually found uh, one of, of my comedy heroes from when I was a kid, Richard Herring. I found a post from him that said, I hate The Truman Show. Good idea, badly and illogically explored. And I, I followed it up a little bit and uh, and found a podcast where he was talking about it. And he said things like, for instance, uh, it's, it's the first things that come to your mind. So n- no one would watch it for the first two years because it would be boring. But... I think people would watch it, and I think there's there's been a clear illustration of that in things like those series of Big Brother where E4 just showed it through the night, and people tuned in and watched them sleeping. And I think they say at one point people leave him on at night for company, don't mm, they? Yeah. Mm. 
and also uh, uh, Richard Owen complained about things like the the loop. You know, when he sat in the car and he says these people are on a loop and they're going round. And Richard Owen said, "Well, why would you ever put them on a loop? You, you would just say go and and live your life, and that will." But that misses the whole point of. I think of Christoph's megalomania, his need to control everything about this person's life. So I think it's a very easy film to to pick bits off. But if you really, you've got to really push down into the bones of it, and you can mm. see that there's a solid foundation above those initial kind of quibbles, yeah. that, and that's what really makes it brilliant. Mm. Well, I think all of us around this table can be, you know, and, we, and we've proved it in the past. We can we can pick strips off. Things oh, absolutely, and, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and do that. But actually, I, I don't think any of us really want to with this. You know, no. no. Uh, right, let's give this a. Is it Big Brother from 1984 or is it Big Brother's Nasty Nick? <laughs> Who I, I, see, I once saw Nasty Nick in a panto and he was just dire. <laughs> really, oh really awful. Um, and someone I was with at the time actually went, went up to him afterwards. We saw him out in a, in a bar in, in, in Lincoln where we, uh, where we record this. We record this in Lincoln. And uh, so I'm in a bar down the, on the Brayford front and um, that person gave Nasty Nick a piece of their mind saying Ooh. you're stealing a, a good actor's job there because that was just <laughs> Awful. Oh, good for them. <laughs> it's the ideal opportunity to do that old joke, though, isn't it? Oh, nasty Nick, what's happened to your career? It's behind you. So we're all we're all going for Big Brother 1984, aren't we? Come cool. right, on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so all that remains is to thank uh, our producer Johnny Hall, Rachel Burnett, Andy Goulding, who we're going to leave you with now with a poem. If watching puppets dance is something that you like to do. There is a TV genre that is tailor-made for you, where hand-picked individuals are locked in rooms together in hope they'll clash dramatically for our sick viewing pleasure. Although I've often heard it called reality TV, the content doesn't seem much like reality to me. It's oh so carefully, maliciously manipulated, ensuring negativity can be exacerbated, so damaging divisions can be neatly manufactured until the microcosm is appropriately fractured. I feel that it's increasingly emotionally draining to live in a society that calls it entertaining, to laugh, applaud and revel in a programme such as this that sells its wares by stoking flames of rabid prejudice. If only we all turned it off or tried another channel, you'd see less of this garbage on your electronic panel. So cast a vote with your remote against such crass behaviour. Big Brother might be watching you, but don't return the favour. been listening to spoiler hosted by me paul tyler with andy goulding and rachel burner our theme music was composed by ron butcher if you've enjoyed the show and would like to support us you can do so via our website spoilerpodcast.co.uk click on the donate button and give us whatever you think we're worth you can also sign up for a free 30-day trial with Audible and get yourself a free audiobook by going to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and clicking on the Audible trial banner on the left-hand side. Or you can help us by simply telling your friends about us, sharing links to our show, or writing a nice review on iTunes. Next time on Spoiler, we're watching season one of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Fleabag. I'm not obsessed with sex. 
just can't stop thinking about it. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter or Facebook, or go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hoare and is a Joe Schmo production. The show was recorded at the studios of Siren FM in the heart of the beautiful cathedral city of Lincoln. Went all over. Never found a place like this, though. Yeah, let's do what else. Where's the TV guy?